I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. In today's episode, I actually have two scientists here for you talking about one really cool class they offer here at UC San Diego School of Medicine. Actually, this class is so unique that they are publishing a paper about it, and that will appear April 24th, 2019 in the journal Cell Systems. Here I have with me the two people who are running the class. My name is Trey Eidecker. I'm a professor of medicine and adjunct in bioengineering and computer science at UC San Diego. Hi, I'm Samson Fong. I'm a third-year grad student at Trey's lab. Give us a little background. What What is this class called and what, what's it about? Sure. This is called Network Biology and Biomedicine. It was offered for the first time in spring of 2018. The idea is that in lots of fields, not just biology and biomedicine, but um, uh, practically all the sciences to a first approximation, networks have become a really important meme <laughs> and beyond <laughs> meme maybe maybe just you know a way of structuring knowledge and and guiding the kind of data we we collect as scientists so just to start out with with examples outside of biology um, or at least medicine uh, social networks obviously have become a huge deal but uh, uh, networks are of course also essentially the key structures behind the internet itself uh, and, and virtually any complex system we think about. And, and the same is true for, for biological systems. Uh, so in, in biology, we now can make measurements, not just of what are the genes and proteins and hormones in, inside of, of cells and, and tissues, but, but how do those interact? And, and it's these interactions that people are now able to measure at, at relatively um, large scale with high throughput uh, devices measuring those. It's those kinds of technologies that are making networks. So, so that's been going on for uh, more than a few years, but it got to the point where I felt like it was time to offer a class. The, the, the science had reached, you know, network science is applied to biology and reached a, a um, level of maturity that it was now important to teach. And what kind of students take the class? So uh, it's primarily offered to graduate students, most of which are seeking a PhD degree, although I think we saw undergrads enroll. It's, it's open to, into anyone who is matriculated as a student paying tuition <laughs> at, at UCSD. Okay. Um, as, and, and I think we saw um, a diversity of, of, of students along mm-hmm. those lines, undergrads, master's students, yeah. a medical student, MD mm-hmm. uh, uh, degree, yeah. maybe some postdocs yeah. also. There were a handful of people who were auditing the class who weren't officially enrolled, um, but definitely attended lectures. And yeah, a few professors actually yeah. audited the class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it sounds like something everybody uh, needs to know. So, so what was different about this class? What kind of approach did you take that was so unique? in lieu of a final exam, and even in lieu of a final project, which is a standard thing to offer in a graduate level class especially, we offered a final competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the first time I had ever offered such a thing, and I think is fairly unique 
in, yeah. in course offerings. There, there are competitions among methods and, and approaches in different areas of science already, but outside of the classroom. So, so in this case, we, um, we were sort of inspired by those, those competitions. The question is, to what extent can you bring that kind of competition in the classroom applied to network bioscience? What did they have to do? So I understand the class broke down into teams, and then what was the, uh, the assignment? The goal uh, assignment was that uh, we would give them um, a specific data set, um, in this case, uh, a, a genome-wide association studies. Um, and then we asked them to take these, uh, which are uh, summaries of how a specific uh, nucleotide polymorphism um, is associated with the disease. And in this particular case, we studied uh, schizophrenia. And we asked the students to turn these summary statistics uh, into a list of genes that are, would be most associated with the disease. So just to take a step back for a sec, can yeah. you define for me what is a genome-wide association study? Yeah, so uh, these studies uh, have uh, sequenced um, the, uh, the genomes of many patients, in this case of like tens of thousands of uh, patients, and they determined uh, what are the specific uh, locations in the genome that are mutated compared to some reference. Um, and then they do this association uh, model of th these different mutations and how associated they are to the disease, in this case, okay. schizophrenia. So uh, we gave, I gave them this data sets as well as uh, one reference uh, baseline uh, method to analyze this data. And then we encourage them to go off and uh, explore alternatives, explore well, what kind of methods they can use. Those that were in the class, those were there, uh, that we did not even discuss in the class. Uh, we challenged them to derive this list and then we would uh, withhold any information from them. They wouldn't know what is the gold standard that we're using. Um, and then at the end of the class, we would have this leaderboard where we show them, okay, give us the results and here, here is how you guys did. Um, and then we first gave them one round of uh, feedback based on uh, how they did, and then we challenged them to tweak it how they like, and then finally, uh, a week later, uh, we did a final ranking based on that. Okay, and so how, how did they do, and who won? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, interestingly, actually, uh, uh, a postdoc in the lab, Dan, uh, who is also uh, an author on the paper, and the students actually did better than what Dan, Dan did. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, so it was, uh, the, the methods were very similar to what Dan did, but then they, they were actually able to uh, explore some ways of transforming the scores that actually performed in a way better. Um, and that actually has led to a companion paper that we're working on that actually has recently got accepted that we'll be uh, publishing soon. Great. So in general, the students did great. <laughs> <laughs> One method clearly arose as both uh, both the most popular, I think, and also the one that, that did the best at finding schizophrenia genes from this genome association study. Now, within that type of method, there were many variations, some of which did poorly and some of which did really well. And so that was also uh, an interesting finding of the study is, is how sensitive these methods can be. I think we all realize that but it really demonstrated how sensitive some of these analyses can be to particular configurations. So help me be able to picture this. So somebody who wouldn't, doesn't know anything about, about informat informatics tools and these methods, so 
how are they doing this? Are they finding tools online? Are they writing code? You know, what what does it look like? Yes. Yeah, so so they had to they had to hand in uh, a list of the top hundred genes, their best hundred guesses at schizophrenia genes, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in ranked order. In so, ranked order, in fact. Yeah. Okay. So, so out of like twenty five thousand genes in yeah. the human body, they yeah. said, okay, looking at this patient database of patient. Uh, genomic information, here's the 100, top 100 genes we think are associated with this disease. And, and the logic of that for schizophrenia or a disease like schizophrenia, which is a quintessential complex disease, meaning uh, more than one, it's not Mendelian, it's not a one gene, one disease right. phenotype type of disease, like that would be cystic fibrosis or something right. like that, but even that of which has genetic modifiers, but we won't get into that. <laughs> uh, but, but for schizophrenia, um, I don't think anyone in the field is shocked by the notion that there are hundreds of genes, of course some are more important than others in determining your, um, the incidence of schizophrenia and the severity. So, so, so that was kind of a reasonable premise for that disease. Now, if we were to repeat this experiment or this, this exercise with a different disease, maybe you would, you would tailor it a little bit differently. Interesting. So were all of these already known to be associated with schizophrenia, or were they coming up with totally new stuff? So there were certainly um, a set of gold standard of known uh, schizophrenia genes that we were comparing against. Um, but. Uh, all these methods have uh, produced a lot of uh, interesting novel genes um, that uh, a lot of students have kind of pointed out uh, that were not known, um, but perhaps warranted uh, more study. It also, I think, um, both conveys to the students a sense of scientific progress and urgency, as, as well as actually captures, better captures scientific progress. Right. It, uh, it, when you have an entire class of graduate students focused on a single problem, or at least a cluster of very related problems, you can really get synergy that, that uh, you know, you, you see exactly where the state of the art is, you see where the other groups are, and it really helps to evaluate the whole field uh, and, and push it forward. And I think that was, that was felt, you know, among the students and contributed to the excitement, uh, which is, you know, I think one of the pros for offering this kind of, of opportunity in a graduate uh, course. And what were some of their reactions? I mean, were they really into it? Did they get nervous? I think in the in the beginning, a lot of people were a little nervous. Um, it's just that uh, it seems like, oh, I, I have four weeks to come up with a whole new research project. Like that, that seems very daunting, I think. Um, but I think once they started to play with the materials that we have given them, I think it, it seems to be a little bit more doable. And then towards the end, I think people got a little bit more excited, especially when, when we first do the first round of leaderboard, I think. Uh, people were like, oh, okay, so this is this is how we did it. I think uh, it's like, oh, that is not completely at all what I expected. And I think uh, that was an interesting uh, reaction. Great. But what else would you want to add or think people would be interested to know? Well, well one thing we, I think, I, I realized we might have skipped over too quickly mm-hmm. and we might, is how exactly the students were evaluated. Okay. We Essentially, the, the logic was, one, a gene list should recover as much of the known schizophrenia genes in the literature as, as, as possible. Two, it should be replicable in a second cohort of schizophrenics mm, in point. terms of finding associations between their polymorphisms and the mm-hmm. disease in those genes. And then three, it should have or it may have 
predictive uh, potential for other related cluster diseases, and bipolar is is um, one such such disease. So, since some of them found genes not known to be um, mutated in schizophrenia before, do you think there will be some follow-up on those and, and further investigation, maybe by other groups? Probably not. <laughs> and I, I would, as much Heather as I would love to say yes, I think I think the follow-up here, just given what this class is and who, you know, who, who the audience is going to be um, who reads this article. The follow-up is going to primarily be methods developers. So I do think that the so, so I think the primary impact of the study is, uh, or of this classroom crowd science study, is is going to be um, the methods that uh, that we've surveyed, which ones worked the best, which ones didn't, and that that information being used to guide lots and lots of other studies. That would be my hope, and I think that's reasonable expectation. The actual biology, my guess is, will be seen, you know, uh, um, it's going to be hard to get people to pay too much attention to a list of genes that came out of a four-week classroom yeah. exercise. <laughs> even, even if there were some really valuable, I, I'm sure there were some really valuable leads in there, mm -hmm. but given the way this, this whole thing is being presented and was carried out, my guess is the focus will be more on the methods. <laughs> Very cool. Um, and then finally, just because I always like to ask everybody this, how did you personally get interested in um, systems biology and bioinformatics? Wow. Well, that's, that's um, for, for me, that, that's uh, a question that uh, dates back, you know, 20 years or, or so. So I was um, in my early 20s, I was a computer scientist, electrical engineer, working for a defense contractor essentially building guided missile systems, if you really think back about what I was doing. Wow. And uh, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't last very long. And so, so around that time, that was in the, in the mid-90s when the Human Genome Project was being talked about, but as you probably know, wasn't yet in full swing or complete. So I started applying to graduate programs in genomics. That's Wow. That's essentially how I got, you know, interested in, in genomics. And then network biology is just an extension of genomics because once you've sequenced all the genes, that's essentially the, the parts list at the beginning of, you know, page one of the IKEA manual. And then, of course, the other seven pages of, of, of IKEA manuals tell you how to put those parts together. And that's really what network biology is starting to, to learn how to do. Great. And what about you? What so about Samson? Yeah. In, how did you get here and what are you, what is your project? What are you working on? Yeah. Um, so uh, how I got here, I, so originally in my undergrad uh, career, I, I did a research project on molecular dynamics. So it's very far away from, from systems biology in that it was uh, studying the minute interactions of how, how molecules interact at a very low level. Um, and then I rotated, and then when I got to UCSD, I, I, I read about what Trey did, uh, what, uh, what the lab was about. Uh, I decided to rotate. Um, and then uh, in the first project that I worked on, uh, it was visible neural network uh, model that, that we were working on. And um, basically uh, learning about all the genes at once and putting it all together is a, a much higher level. Um, and to me, it's a more exciting way to study biology. All right, anything else you'd want to add or? A lot of people know we're a prospective student, perhaps. 
Well, you should absolutely, uh, as a prospective student, realize that um, you should come to UCSD and take this class. <laughs> Perfect. You know, hey, you too can, can yeah. um, participate in a classroom competition that results in, in, you know, published literature. That, I think, you know, getting back to some of the pros, that's another thing. Yeah. I mean, to get a publication out of a class you've taken as a grad student, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Really valuable. A great reason to take the class. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us on N equals 1. You can find more of our episodes at health ucsd.edu slash podcast or on iTunes or wherever you like to find your podcasts.